So for the last two classes we have been talking about Surat Al-Ikhlas and we spent a lot of time in detail discussing uh, why it was called Surat Al-Ikhlas and the other names for the Surah. Zubair, do you remember some of the other names that uh, Surat Al-Ikhlas was called? No. no. Surat Tawheed, right? It was one. Surah Al-Ikhlas is one. Surah Qulhullahu Ahad. Surah Ahad, Surah Samad, all of these were names that were used. Uh, Imam Razi, he actually mentions 20 names that he actually came up with, talking in in a way to express the uniqueness of what the surah is and what the surah means and a lot of the symbolism that is contained within it. Uh, Allah Azawajal, he starts out by saying, ahad. He doesn't say, wahid, um, even though both of these would be correct uh, in, a, uh, in a grammatical and a linguistic sense, both of these ways to express the uniqueness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is correct. But we said that the reason that Allah Azawajal uses Ahad instead of Wahid was uh, Aziz, you remember? Uh, why does Allah Azawajal say Ahad instead of Wahid? Even though both of them, the, the meaning would be correct. The meaning would be correct. But we so said. Isn't one Ahad? Hmm? Then wouldn't it be more if you use alone, right? Jayid. Anas. Mashi, the entire surah is emphasism, but we said. Zaid has the right answer. Alone. Huh? Alone. It means Allah is alone. Instead of saying Allah is one. Okay? And this was, why did it come in this way? Because like you said, the meaning of both of these is correct. There's nothing wrong with either meaning. Um, one of the names of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that is established is Wahid. And we know the name Abdul Wahid and a lot of people name that. There's nothing wrong with that name. It's something acceptable. Huh? Yeah, when you say alone, you're still saying it one, but you're also emphasizing the fact. Okay, why did Allah Azawajid want to emphasize that fact in this surah? Because the Quraysh, they used to have uh, a lot of deities. They used to worship a lot of th- That's That's right, but there's something specifically related to the surah. Oh, they, they used to ask who, who the... Uh, they, said, they said, They said, yeah, give, us the, give us the lineage of your Lord. Uh, the Quraysh asked, give us the lineage of your Lord. And this surah was what? It was the answer to their question. It was the answer to their question. So then Allah Azawajal, the next, uh, the next ayah, He says, Allahu Samad. And we said that it, he, Allah Azawajal, He... he Re-emphasizes and re- he reiterates and he says his name again, right? Instead of saying "Qulhu Allahu Ahad Samad," he doesn't say that. He says "Qulhu Allahu Ahad." Then he starts a new sentence, a new verse by saying "Allahu Samad," and we said the reason that he mentions his name here again is what? Mm. The more he mentions it, the. All right. So, like we said, the surah, if we're putting it in contextually, it's a response to the Quraysh, right? So Allah Azawajal, he's trying to make a point, I'm uh, not trying, I'm sorry. Allah is making a point here. There's a point that he's making here, and this is a response to the Quraysh, so that they understand who he, Azawajal, is. And we had talked about the, the way that Allah actually worded this, by saying, huwa, Allah, and Ahad, what those three things mean, and the three levels of ma'rifah, and understanding, and attaining, knowing Allah Azawajal, what those three levels meant. Then we said that Allah Azawajal, he repeats his name again by saying, Allahu Samad. Saying, and this is very similar to uh, how an individual would teach another. Because when you constantly repeat the name, it is a way to cause that to stick, in a way to teach those individuals on the reality of what in this situation? The reality of Allah, right? This is to teach them the reality of Allah. Like, do not even think that... This deity, this being has any type of relation to what you imagine. Because what did they say? They said, tell us your, our, your Lord's lineage. That they, they were trying to understand this concept of Allah. They're saying, tell us our, your Lord's lineage because they understood the lineage of Lat, Manat, and Uzza. They understood their lineage and they said, okay, the, he's the son of so-and-so <coughs> and the son of so-and-so. And this is who we worship. So we want to know the lineage of your Lord. Allah, he doesn't even directly answer them. He doesn't say Allah doesn't have a lineage. Allah Azawajal, the way he presents himself and the way he talks about himself is a way to show his uniqueness. And we, in the next side, he said, Allah Samad. What does Samad mean? Absolute. Mm, absolute what? Eternal. Eternal is the translation. Um, but like we, I had a problem with that translation, right? Because it doesn't actually actually reflect what, what it means in the language. Self-sufficient. Self-sufficient. Right? And not, not just self-sufficient. Self-sufficient to the point of what? Because Samad was something that the Arabs used to describe who? They used it to describe an individual. What type of indescri- individual would they say is Allah Samad? Someone powerful, good. But in general, who? What type of power? Because there's different Play types of power. Huh? 
Oh. Not just a slave owner. Basically, he would be the leader of the tribe that everybody would go to. Huh? He, he's like the chieftain. Right? He'd be like the chieftain of the tribe. And, and why is he called a Samad? Because everybody relies on him. And he doesn't really need to rely on them. But, but the reality is, is that when you talk about a chieftain or a tribal head, there still is a level of what? Dependence. There, there's still a level of dependency because he wouldn't have that chiefdom or he wouldn't have that position had it not been for the people around him. But Allah Azawajal, he describes himself as al-samad. And in an absolute sense, in that everybody and every being and all of creation relies on him. And he relies on no one. And, and that is from the unique characteristics. And like we said, Allah being described as Ahad and Allah being described as Samad, this is the only place in the entirety of the Qur'an that you will find these two descriptions of him. And this is one of the reasons, inshallah, when we get to the end of it, and we'll, we'll be finishing Surah Al-Ikhlas today, inshallah, on why all, this is equal to one-third of the Qur'an. And we'll talk about the different opinions related to that. So the next ayah, Allah says, Lam yalid wa lam yulad. Um, that he does, uh, he begot not, nor was he begotten. So yeah, he wasn't he wasn't born, nor did he give birth. Basically, huh? if we if we put it in a modern context and a modern translation, that he was not given birth to, nor did he ever give birth. Why mention these things specifically? Because people would ask. Huh? Who's who? Where did he come from? Uh, right, because w- remember what the Quraysh asked. Remember what the Quraysh says. They said, give us your Lord's lineage. And where did he come from? So he's answering them. And where did we say this verse was revealed? I mean, the surah was revealed. In Mecca. The surah was revealed in Mecca. So this is before his meeting with who? The Christians. Uh, this is before his meeting with the Christians. But Allah, obviously, he knows that this religion was to be for all time. And this is also an answer to, to, to them. Not only to Quraysh, but it's also an answer to who? To the Christians. That this claim that you're making against me, that I have a son, this is something that is completely false. And this is the same, uh, it's the same claim that Quraysh made him. And there's another ayah that Allah says, yani, uh, yani, And you ascribe daughters to him, but you take sons for yourself. Hmm? And saying that he has a lineage, that he gives birth, he does all of these things. And what you prefer something for your else, and the thing that you don't prefer, you prescribe, you ascribe this to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. <coughs> In the last ayah, inshallah, and this is what we're going to close with today and spend a little bit of time on. That no one is comparable to him. Now, one of the things that I actually do want to break down here is how Allah words this. Because that's something that's very important. The way that he actually words this, because if you go into the original Arabic, you would say, وَلَمْ يَكُنْ أَحَدْ كُفُوًا لَهُ this, w- this would be the original order. And uh, what Allah did here is he completely changes the order of the verse, and he changes the order of the, uh, of the ayat in using the words. And this is something that you can do in Arabic. You can change the order of different words depending on the emphasis that you're trying to place and depending on the meaning that you're trying to push forward to, to the audience. Because like we said, the audience here is who? Huh? The, the Quraysh, right? This, this, this is the first audience, and, and this is something that we we need to keep in mind. In general, in general, when we say that there was a verse or a surah that was revealed in Mecca, in generally the audience is who? Quraysh. And if there is a verse or a surah revealed in Medina, the audience is who? In general. The the Ansar and the Muhajirin. The Ansar and the Muhajirin, those are all the Muslims are the audience okay. from the beginning to the end. Oh, there's the there's no doubt about that. Huh? The, 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 the Yahud specifically, right? The Yahud specifically, the Nasara, there was some interaction with them, but it was much more limited. Yeah. Where was the majority of the Christian interaction mm-hmm. with the Muslims? In Ethiopia. In Ethiopia, when they went to Habasha. Yeah. Right? And even that was very limited. You know, they, they lived there for a short time, and then all of them, they moved to Medina, and they spent most of their time in Medina. So from the Hijra, from the Hijra of the Prophet wasallam, everybody came to Medina. You know, whoever was in Habasha at that time, everybody came to Medina and they stayed there. And predominantly, the people who they interacted the most most uh, with in Medina was Aus and Khazraj, who were two Jewish tribes at the time. So Allah Azawajal, He says, "Walam yakul lahu kufu." Now, now kufu it, it basically means 
like anything that is equal or anything uh, that is similar in, in characteristic. And this is the word that Allah Azawajal uses here. He uses, he starts this uh, verse by saying lam. Now lam, it means uh, it's, it's a complete negation of something. Allah does a complete negation here and the complete negation he does here is of similarity and of uh, equality in that there's nothing equal to him and the, the amazing thing is is that Allah what does he close this ayah with? Ahad. Ahad and he describes himself as in the beginning as Ahad huh? and, and, and this is Allah you see this he, he does this a lot in many of the surahs and that the way he starts the surah, he will always wrap it up in the end it, with some type of connection to, to, to the beginning. So that you remember the madhmoon of the surah, so that you remember the topic that's being discussed. So that it is a way to bring complete closure to the topic being discussed, which in this case is tawheed and the characteristics of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And the way that Allah uses the word ahad here, this is what we call the nakira tense, or a, the general tense of a bird. So when, when you speak in a general tense of a word, this has to do with a complete, in a negative sense, it has to do with a complete negation of something. Meaning that there is no individual and there is nothing present that is equal, equal to him. And that's what, the, that's what this entire verse means. If we said, if we, if we put it in a modern context, in a modern translation, we would say there is no one or anything that is equal or comparable to him in any way, shape, or form. That, that would be a complete uh, translation of the intended meaning behind this verse because of the way it's worded. Naam, like the shahada. Yes. The first portion Ay, of mumtaz, the shahada. Mumtaz. Naam, that's that, exactly. Uh -huh. you know, and it's speaking again. Yeah. The first portion is mm. uh, the negation. Negation, yes. And the second portion is the affirmation. affirmation. Naam. So it's the same way except instead of lam, Allah uses la in, in the shahada. But both of them are negating. And ilah in, is also nakira in that tense. It's also in the, in the I, don't, I don't know what we call it in English, maybe like the definitive form or something. But it's the, it would be the, uh, the general form or the general term of the word in order to show us that there is a complete negation of whatever characteristics that's being described. In this situation, in this surah, in this verse specifically, it has to do with any individual or anything that is pre preference. And like we said, by Allah saying ahad, this is a way to close and a way to connect it back to the original, to the beginning of the surah. And Allah he, he begins with the kufu in this. Instead of saying, وَلَمْ يَكُنْ أَحَدٌ كُفُوًا لَهُ Instead of saying that, instead of putting the ahad or this anyone first, he puts the equality first. And he puts the similarity first. Why is that? Why proceed equality and similarity in this situation, in this verse? It's, it's as if Allah is saying, the way that it's worded, and there is no one comparable, I'm sorry, and there is, uh, let me see, how can, I, how can I word this into English? There is comparable none to him. And, and I, guess, I think that would be, might be a good way. Huh? Yeah, the, yeah there, there's nothing comparable to him. Or I, I'm trying to figure out a way, how do I word this and express this in, in, in English? Because in, in Arabic, it's very easy to play around with the order of the words. Like, and you can still maintain the meaning. Uh, the problem in English, you can't. It's very difficult to play around with the order of the words because then the meaning is completely, completely lost. But regardless, um, Allah Azawajal He proceeds equality and similarity in this. See, this is the first thing that He mentions. He said there is compare. It's like saying there is comparable none to Him. I, I think that's, that's even though it's it's structurally and grammatically it's wrong. Yeah. That this it would be a general presentation of what the meaning is, or the they're the English equivalent of of the Arabic. So by saying there is equal none to him that's the way Allah is saying it here instead of saying there is none equal to him which is the, cor the correct English way of saying it but this is the way that he's saying it Allah is saying it the way that I mentioned it by saying there is equal none to him why precede this equality or why mention this equality first hmm. right they were worshipping a lot of gods that's, that's fine that's good what else? They were comparing. They're, they're comparing, right? Yeah. They're comparing. And Allah, every time He puts precedence, every time He precedes a word, the reason that He's doing it is to put what? 
emphasis on that quality or emphasis on that characteristic. And the emphasis that he is putting he, on here, he, the emphasis he's putting in this ayah, is that there is none equal to him. Because even though the previous characteristics, the previous characteristics, in some of them, like for example, Samad, can that be applied to humans or no? Huh? From a servant side, uh, right? Abdus, from, from not abdus. not from a divine, not from a divine characteristic, no, but in, but in terms of a creation, a characteristic that the creation can have, no. can an individual be a samad? No. Yes, the Arabs use the description. Can an individual be ahad? Can he be alone? Yes, he can. Can an individual? No. But there are certain things. Can a person not be born or not give birth to? No, this is not one. But there is a person who's sterile, who what? Who can't give birth? Right. Yes or no? Like a male or a female, if a man is Sarah, he's unable to uh, to have offspring, he's unable to have children. So Allah Azawajal, what is he doing here with this verse? He's saying that even though that some of those characteristics can be shared with what? With humans. Some of those t- characteristics can be shared with humans in terms of not the absolute application of, they can be shared in terms that some characteristics or some, some aspects of this can be shared. In this last ayah, he's completely negating any type of sharing with what? I'm sorry, with the creation? The, creator. Creator. Huh? The, the creation and the creation, he's completely making a distinct separation here. And that's what he's closing with here. To show that, okay, even though these characteristics are there with him in absolute sense, you as a human being, you as an individual, you ya Qurashi, you ya Muslim, you need to understand that there is absolutely no sense of any type of sharing and Allah is greater than you can even ever imagine. He's greater than you can ever even conceive. And even though there might be elements that you think are shared, the reality, he is above and beyond any in any types of elements that you see. Yes? So now I'm, I'm picturing myself <clears throat> being in that, that time. Yeah. Right. So if I'm a non-Muslim and I'm getting this mm-hmm. information to me, yeah. how, how do I go to believe in that revelation? Because now it's easier because mm-hmm. there's Muslims. There's yeah. Quran. Yeah, yeah. Right? So you can see, visualize mm-hmm. physically. Um, well, back then, how did people believe in the revelation? Okay. Even without any, you know. Okay, no, that, that's a very see. good question. So, so the thing is, it's, it's, it, it, it might be digressing a little bit, but just very quickly. Number one, Allah Azawajal, even during the Meccan period, He mentions a number of the Anbiya, right? He mentions a number of prophets. Yes or no? Like, why? To inform them that these are. Okay, good. Now, why would the Qurayshis care about that? Why would the Arab care about those individuals? Because they, they recognize them. Those individuals, they recognize them. They, men, they recognize Adam, they recognize Ibrahim, they recognize Musa, they recognize all of these individuals, Hud, Saleh. They're mentioned. Mm-hmm. So they recognize them. Why did they recognize them? Because they, they're in their books. They, were passed they, didn't, have any, they didn't have any no, books, books per se. I'm sorry? Okay, why? Huh? They used to talk to the Jews. The, the Qurashis, not so much. The Qurashis, not so much. There, there was very limited interaction between them. But the reality is, okay, here, let's, let's do it this way. What was important to the Arab? Lineage and? Right, uh, well, man, all of those things, there, there was part of it, it was part of preserving the lineage. But basically, what was important to them was, was lineage. Huh? Legacy. Le- yeah, legacy. If we, legacy, sum, if we yeah. summarize it, legacy, legacy was important to them. And legacy meaning the going up and going down. You know what I mean? Their grandfathers and their, their sons. So who did the Quraysh defend, descend from? Ismail. From Ismail. And that was important to them. Because the reality is Quraysh, they were a preserved, they were a protected tribe. Yes or no? No. How come they were not wiped out like other tribes in the entire peninsula? Ibrahim made dua. All right, that that's there's no doubt that okay. he made du'a, but I'm talking about why, how did how was that du'a acted on in a in in a, in a more in like a logistic way? They married within themselves. Okay, they married within themselves to preserve the name and all that. I agree. There's no doubt about that. But my thing is like, okay, why Quraysh? Why why did the other Arabs respect Quraysh and not go to war with them and not enter Mecca, etc.? No. Um, because of the fact of the lineage that. Uh-huh. They had a blessed lineage. They had a blessed lineage. And they, that was recognized. No. All of the Arabs, they look at the Quraysh and they said that this is a blessed, this is a holy lineage and we have to we have to honor and we have to respect them. And we have to honor and respect not only for that reason and for the reason that they're protecting what? 
the Kaaba and the Haram and, and Makkah, right? Because the reality was, what made Makkah different from any other part of the peninsula? Ibrahim and Islam made the du'a to Allah uh-huh. to make this a uh, and, sacred. And, and that's and that's how it was implemented. That's how it yeah. was protected. Yeah. Because the thing is, the reality is, as human beings, I can go build a place and say, okay, this is a holy place too. Yes or no? Yeah. But Allah, what happened was because lineage was important to them, it went back to Ismail yeah. And he's the one that built the Kaaba. Yeah. And this was passed down. And this is why they worked so hard to preserve and protect it. Mm. Otherwise, they're, they're mushrikeen. Yes or no? They're mushrikeen, yes or no. Mm. But there were certain elements that they still held on to. There were certain elements that they still wanted to preserve and protect. So Ismail his father was Ibrahim. And the lineage goes up back through all through these prophets who are mentioned in the Quran. That's why these individuals, that's why they recognize them. That's why they give them importance. That's why the stories aren't complete. If we look in the Quran... There are only one or two stories that are pretty much complete from A to Z, from the time that they're born, from the time that, to the time that uh, you know that they got into prominence. The story of Musa alayhi and which other prophet? Yusuf. And Yusuf. The other ones, they're very broken stories. They're very broken stories. You only have a bits piece here. He moved here. He went here. He did this. Sometimes you only have like you know, for example, the the story of the naqa, the story of the time that the camel came out. And from the time that they killed it, and that's it. That's all you have of the story. Or the time, the story of Lut, you don't have a story of where he came from, where his lineage is, how he died, what happened after he left that land. Allah, Azzawajal, he only took out the lessons from those stories because he, Azzawajal, knew that the Arabs that were being spoken to understood the context of that story. They knew from the time he died and from the time he died. But Allah only wanted to point out the lessons to them. So this is why it was important to them. So what about the idol worshippers? Huh? The idol worshippers, what they did is they still respected and understood that lineage. And they still had an understanding of what? There was a couple things that they understood. They understood the exe- existence of Allah. They recognized that. Okay. They recognized that there was the existence of Allah. But the way that they kind of dealt with Allah is very similar to how the group Greeks dealt with Zeus and the other gods. So basically, what in Greek mythology or in, in Greek in the Greek religion or ancient Greek religion... What was the role of Zeus in comparison to all the other gods? He was like the head god. He was like the super god. But what was the problem with, you know, no, I'm saying what was the problem with that structure? That these other gods could actually what? They could actually ta- challenge his authority. And this is the same belief that the Quraysh had. They believed that all of these sub-gods or these other gods that they had, they believed that there wasn't Allah and they believed that Allah created them. But they believed all these other gods that they would intercede on their behalf. But this intercession was unique. This intercession was unique. They would say that these gods would intercede on our behalf and they didn't need Allah's permission. Because Allah, how many times does He, how does he, he stresses in the Quran that ما إلا That there is no one who can intercede for you except with my permission. And this is the problem, that this is the shirk that Quraysh committed. That they said that these that do intercession for us, we don't need, they don't need Allah's permission. They can actually coerce and affect and have power over Allah. And this is where the shit is. And this is where the shit lies. And that's that's where the problem comes in. Yeah, the only reason I was asking uh-huh. is because, like, for example, if a non Muslim that, that yeah. was, like, you know, idol worshiping, yeah, yeah. they hear this message first uh-huh. time. Yeah. Like, at that time, how would they feel? Because I'm more Muslim. This no. is implemented. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, and, 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 the, and the thing is, you have individuals where it clicked with immediately. Right? Abu Bakr, he heard the message, he said, yeah, this is the truth. Hmm. Ali, Ali, he heard the message, he said, that's the truth. When the, when the Prophet ﷺ came back to his wife Khadija, she said, she said Allah, was, Allah would never, she recognized, and she said Allah would never turn an individual like you away, this is the true religion, Ashhadu an la ilaha illallah wa anna Muhammad So you have individuals who turn like this, and they're, because we have to understand that us as individuals, Allah Azawajal, He created us on the fitrah, and what does that mean? What does that mean? It means that when we hear the truth, we, we naturally gravitate toward it and we accept it. That, that's what the fitrah is, that's all. And there are individuals who are going to fight that fitrah, and there are individuals who are going to accept it and fall into it. And, and that's what it basically boils down to. Um, and the other aspect is that, that a lot of people don't talk about for whatever reason, is there are a lot of people, especially the heads of Quraysh who didn't accept this religion, not only out of arrogance and pride, what was the other big motivational factor that didn't allow them or didn't want them to accept the religion? Huh? Ec- economic reasons. Right? There, was big fi- there was a big financial loss for them if they accepted the religion of Islam. How? Huh? 
No, not not zakat. They controlled the hajj trade. They controlled the hajj trade fully. They controlled the production of these of these idols. They're the ones that controlled the movement of the hujjaj. They're the ones that controlled every time any taxation would have to come on Mecca, any trade that was going on during the days of hajj, because they controlled the hajj. The hajj was still happening, by the way. The hajj was still happening. The only difference between their hajj, of course, in addition to the shirk, <laughs> the only difference was is that Ahl Mecca, the Quraysh, they would not leave Muzdalifa. They would not go to Arafah. Do you guys know why? Because Arafah is outside the Haram boundary. Mm. And, and the Quraysh, Ahl Mecca, they were considered holy people, and during that time they were not allowed to go out. To go out. So, you know, you know how you guys hear about like, people making Hajj naked and stuff like that? Why? You know why that was? Because, because Mecca was such a holy place, you could only wear the clothes of the holy people. So if they couldn't get a Qur- if they couldn't buy clothes from the Qurashi, if they couldn't afford clothes from the Qurashi, they had nothing to wear. That's why they went naked. It wasn't because they thought, you know, it, it was it was awesome to be naked, you know, or it was amazing to be naked. It's because they couldn't afford to buy clothes from the Qurashi. So now all of a sudden, you're flipping this entire economic, you know, empire up on its on, on its head. And, and this is one of the one of the reasons that a lot of them didn't accept either, because they're like, we would lose our entire industry if we do this. I'm sorry. Yes. Isn't Hajj still a profitable business today? Yes, it is. <laughs> I, I mean, but 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 the thing, but the thing is, you're absolutely right. It is. The thing is that uh, pub- publicly, publicly, they have not started making profits as as a government. Now, individuals have always been making profits, like in the hotels and the logistics and the movement of the Hajj. But as a government, they have not started making profit until the last, I think, within the last five years. Because they didn't charge for the visas and they didn't charge for a lot of the services that they provided. Um, but now even the government is getting a piece of the pie. And, and this is something that's a relatively new phenomenon. And it's because there's a lot of dynamic shifts and there's a lot of changes that are going on. But politics, we'll, we'll leave to the side for now. So, <laughs> so uh, like we said, Allah he, he wants to emphasize the fact that there is no equal to him. And, and this is why he precedes that equality in this part of the surah. And he closes with, the, with, with this ahad to show, to show the mirroring that he mentions in the beginning of this ayah. And in, in general, this is a, a summary. Um, I wish we could go into more detail uh, concerning Surah Al-Ikhlas, but I think three classes is, 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 uh, is a good time, inshallah, and we want to move on to other parts of it. So what I wanted to close with today, inshallah, is that equals one-third of the Qur'an, and the scholars have four opinions concerning this. And what did the Prophet wasallam intend? When he made the statement The first one being in reward of recitation Meaning that if an individual reads Surah Al-Ikhlas He reads Qudlullahu Ahad three times It will equal what? Uh, it'll, it'll equal the recitation of the entire Quran yani For the reward for the recitation So if an individual recites Surah Al-Ikhlas And three times Or whether he recites the entirety of the Quran once That would be equal in reward there would be equal in reward of, of recitation. The second, it is equal to one-third for the one who does not read well. So if the individual has trouble reading the Qur'an, but he, instead he reads Surah Al-Ikhlas three times, then that's who this hadith applies to. The third opinion, that is equal in one-third in terms of its meaning. And this is a very, this is a very strong opinion. Um, because the Qur'an, it, we said it's split into three major themes. There are three major themes that recur and occur in the entirety of the Qur'an. You guys remember what they are? Uh, Tawheed is one, there's no doubt. Ahkam, rulings, and what is the last? Qisas. Now, commandments would be rulings, right? Qisas, mm-hmm. uh, stories, or narratives, or akhbar. Yani, uh, basically, stories of the nations of the past. So these are the three parts of the Qur'an, or these are the three major themes we find in the entirety of the Qur'an. Whatever, any ayah or anything that you find in the Qur'an is going to fall under one of these three major categories. Surah Al-Ikhlas discusses what? Tawheed, that's it. It doesn't discuss anything else. You don't find any rulings in the surah. You don't find any stories of nations that have passed. You only and solely define it as a discussion of Tawheed. And because of that, this many scholars have said, this is why it is equal to one-third of the Qur'an. And the last opinion is is that it's, it's similar to the first opinion, in that it equals, in terms of the reward, the recitation of one-third of the Qur'an, but it would still not be equal to reading the Qur'an in its entirety. And th- this, is, this is the last opinion. 
Um, Ibn Rushd, he mentions this, and so, so does Ibn Abdul Bar. Ibn Abdul Bar actually says it's, it's better not even to talk about <laughs> the comparison mm-hmm. and, and, and just to leave it at that. Leave the, leave the hadith of the Prophet as it is and, and to take the reward as it's available and to recognize that and, and to take it as that. And just not talk too much about the issue because this is an issue that is with the unknown, it's with the ghayb. Uh, and Allah Azza wa Jalla, and He's the one who rewards as He wills, and He takes as He wills, and He punishes as He wills. Azza wa Jalla, Wallahu a'lam, wa sallallahu ala khayri khalqin nabiyyina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa sallam. Any questions? No. Uh, I heard that the sister went uh, Bedouin Arab, Arab, what are some things that are going to be important to me? Commerce. 
Right? No, I'm just saying as an individual for, for survival. Huh? Lineage, well, I mean, I'm asking, I'm at, because the point is, how, why is lineage going to be important to me? What am I going to do with money in the middle of the desert? What am I going to do with all those things, Yahuan? Nothing. Tribal protection. Huh? Tribal protection. Okay, that's fine. For what, though? I'm in the middle of the desert. I'm saying, let's talk about the Arab mindset. It's very important to understand that. Me, as a Jahili Arab, as a Bedouin... What do, I, what do I want? What am I looking for in the middle of the Resources. desert? Resources. Water. That's number one. Yes or no? Yes. The number one thing that I want is water. Because without water, I can't do anything. Right? I'm not going to feed my, anal, my animals. I'm not going to have any grazing land. I'm not going to have anything. So the number th- one thing is I need water. So in order to have that water, right? I get to the water and I have a well. Now what do I want to do? Huh? I want to protect that. Right? The, the land is all desert. I can't do much with the land. Don't you need a territory? For what? Nothing there. <laughs> they're, they're, they're called Bedouins. Why are they called Bedouins? They always move. They're always moving around. Why are they moving? Because they're stupid? Huh? Nothing, nothing, they just like, just like wandering, huh? They're, they're looking for water. Yeah. Right? So they, they would move. They would move from water to water. No, no, but the thing is, you, you have to understand that having the territory is important. Why? Because they wanted to have more access to what? To resources. To, to water. water. Right, we're in the desert, and that's something that we need to like define and say. It was very important to them to keep water, and the more land that they had, the more places that they had to actually what, look for water and find it. So, but in order to maintain that land, what did they need? You need more water to win. <laughs> huh? You need power. How? Where do you get power from as an Arab? Negotiating. Biceps. <laughs> biceps. <laughs> biceps will only keep the strength with you as an individual, which is fine, huh? You need people. You need people. You need. You need. That's what you need. Human resources. You need human resources. And how do you consolidate your power? Some through marriage. Multiple wives is one way, right? Marriage. Marriage is one way. But who do you want to marry? The chieftain's daughters. Right. <laughs> no, but in gen- in general, you want to intermarry, right? Because you want to consolidate power. You want to keep that territory. You want to keep those wells. You want to keep that water within this, okay? And what was another important thing to the Arabs? The poetry was important to them. Yes or no? Yeah. Why was it important to them? Because that's how they communicate. That's how they yeah. that, not not just communicate. That was their PR. That was the public relations. That was their media outlet. It was very easy to come up with poetry. Why? Because poetry is easy to memorize and easy to carry forward. You only need one person to carry that forward. And this is a way for your tribe to become famous. The better poet you have, the more well-known he's going to be amongst the tribes. And the Arabs, they, mm-hmm. they were like that. They yes. were very eloquent in his speech. And uh-huh. this is why even in the hadith where the Prophet mm-hmm. spoke about that, so, so. some of the sihr in some kalam mm-hmm. is sihr. In yes. the speech, there's magic. Yeah, yeah. Because they, they was... They was good. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's uh, Kaab ibn, ibn Malik? Kaab ibn Malik, he was the poet of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Not, not no. from that aspect, but yeah. he said that when they didn't go out for the battle, he said that, mm-hmm. I knew if I told you something, if I told any of the Arabs, I would have got it off. I would have mm-hmm. told them, yeah, they would have let me go. Mm-hmm. But I knew if I told you something mm-hmm. because I was able to speak, mm-hmm. Allah would have made it known and you would have been... You know, been mad at me, mashallah. But, but I'm like, even amongst that, even the way that the Quran was revealed, and even yeah. the wording that it came in, it came to challenge them. Mm. Come, come with something similar to this. You are the most eloquent of people. You know how to word things. You know how to say things. You know how to bring this visual imagery when mm. you speak, and what you know how to use these metaphors. You know how to use these, these paradigms. You know how to use this. So. Allah was going to use that for them. And this is why when the Arabs, when they dealt with the Qur'an, you had two groups. And what, in general, who are those two groups? Believer right, you had a believer and non-believer. No, you're absolutely right. The believer was, why? But both of them recognized what? This is not what? This is not human. Both of them recognized that. Whether you believed or you didn't believe. Both of them, they looked at it and they heard it and they're like, yeah, humans don't talk like that. So you would, they would go one of two ways then. One, of the, one way would be like, that has to be divine. That has to be from Allah. We accept whatever it is you have to say because the humans don't talk like that. The other group was like, no, that's magic. That's magic. That's a jinn. You're insane. There's something. But it's not what? Normal. Right? Like whatever it is that you have here, this is not normal. 
and we're scared to listen to it, we're scared to go forward to it because of our pride, because of our arrogance, because of our economic status, because of our financial status, whatever the reason is. So that, that's in general how they dealt with the Qur'an. And you have to understand, I mean, looking at these verses, yeah, Juan, and I'm saying, we, I've just given you a small picture, a small window into looking in some of the ayat. I mean, we just talked about two ayat today. And look how eloquent Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala presents himself. And this is what the Arabs saw. <coughs> this is what they saw when they, when they saw the Qur'an. So, I have a question. No, I'm told them. Uh, when you read Tafsir, yeah. I'm trying to mm-hmm. explain it to Nafsir. Yeah. Uh, but I felt really bad about thinking that. Mm-hmm. That you take the picture of Quraysh yeah. in a very. Negative way. Yeah, yeah. And it's very hard to come back. Mm-hmm. And then, you, you know, like, it feels like you, you talk about Prophet. Yeah. And he's from Quraysh. <laughs> yeah. So how do you. In, in, Okay, in general, like when we talk about Quraysh, we're talking about the kuffar of Quraysh. We're not talking about everyone. Because we have to understand they're human beings. At the end of the day, they're human beings. You had those who were good and who accepted. You had those who were bad. You had those who were sinners. I mean, I'm sorry. You, you had those who went to prostitutes. You had those who drank. And you had those like people like Abu Bakr. He was, he was like a gem of an individual even before Islam. You had people like Uthman, where he, he said himself, he said, I didn't even commit zina before I became Muslim. Like in Jahiliyyah, I never committed zina. Like, so you have people from all over the spectrum. Why? Because they're human beings. Yeah, and just, they're human beings just like everyone else. Yeah, but like when, you, when you read the seer, right? Yeah. And when you talk about these individuals, yeah. they become individuals. Yeah. And then you look at non-Muslims uh-huh. as Qurayshis. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Is is that is that everybody's inherently evil? No, that that shouldn't be like that. Because everybody has the ability to do good. There's no doubt about that. Everybody has the ability to do good. Everybody is born on the fitrah, so everybody has that innate ability to accept Islam. And if you know, every time we think of a Qurashi, we think of somebody evil. We think of somebody vile. No, Abu Lahab was vile. Abu Lahab was evil. Abu Jahl was vile. Abu Abu Jahl was evil. That's fine. Every single Qurashi, no, because from from the Quraysh, we have the Aima Sahaba, we have the scholars of the Sahaba, we have the righteous of the Sahaba. So it's very important to put that perspective in in there. When the no. different guys came to describe Ashab al field, yeah. They took the camel of uh, uh, Quraysh, like. Uh, Ab- Abd- Abdul Muttalib. Yeah. He went to them and they said, Here's my camel. Yeah. He said, We are going to. Uh, yeah, yeah. No, no, yeah, yeah. So no, Abdul Mutta, he came to him and he's like, Listen, I'm going to go destroy your city and you're worried about your camel. He's like, Listen, just like I'm the care, I'm the lord of this camel, I came to take care of it, the lord of that house will take care of it. Yeah. No, they believed. Like I said, they, they believed that there was Allah. The, the problem was that they believed that these other deities had a power, they had the ability to influence him. And this is where the shirk came in. And this is where the problem was. But, um, but like I said, man, subhanAllah, the, the thing is, it's very easy for us to paint the picture of everybody. E- even amongst the kuffar, even amongst the disbelievers. Are there people who are good? And I'm not talking about in an ukhrawi sense. I'm not talking about in the sense of the hereafter. I'm talking about in this world. Yes. And what does Allah do with good people in this world who are not believers? He gives them their reward where? Yeah. Yeah. This world. Yeah. Yeah. So we, we need to keep that in perspective, really. I mean, because the thing is, we, we have this, sometimes we have this ill picture that, okay, yani, we have to despise these individuals, or we have to despise these people. Okay, well, I know people, some of their parents are non-Muslim. What am I going to tell them? I know some people where their children are not Muslim. What am I going to tell them? The Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam, Allah subhanahu wa taala allowed us to marry a kitabiyah. He allowed us to marry a, a Jewish or a Christian. Am I not going to love her? I'm not going to take care of her. Ishkal, what's the problem? And I, I deal, and and I and I give this example, and I've given it multiple times. If I see a non-believer on the side of the road with a flat tire, what should I do as a Muslim? I should help him. If I see a Muslim on the side of the road with a flat tire, what should I do? I should help him. Where does the where do the obligations differ? If a if a disbeliever sneezes, do I have to bless him? No. 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 Who is this the right of? The Muslim. The Muslim. 
if a Muslim dies, is it his right that I attend his janazah or no? Yes. Is it the right of a disbeliever that I attend his janazah? No. no. This is where the differences lie. But That's you it. Do no. not take non-Muslims as close friends either. There's a difference. But what does a close friend mean, Akhi? Even the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam, he he took trust with some of the Jews. He took trust with the guide who took him to Medina when he made hijrah. Taking trust is different. Taking trust is different. The only thing you are not allowed to do is accept them to the point where you start loving their religion more than yours. Eating with the Christians, eating with the Jews, eating with the non-Muslims, there's nothing wrong with that. Taking, even taking them as friends, there's nothing wrong with that because all of these open the doors for da'wah. The only time it becomes a real issue, and the problem comes in the understanding of the ayat. Right? And whoever allies with them is from them. Allies from them how? Allies from them against the Muslims. That's what it means. It doesn't mean allying with them in general. The Prophet ﷺ, he said when he was in Medina that there was a pact, there was a promise and there was an oath that he made in Mecca to prevent oppression, to help the poor. To this, it was, this is called Hilf al-Fabur, if you want to look it up. And the Prophet ﷺ was asked, he said, you know, you, you, were, you were made Hilf al-Fabur in Jahiliyyah. He said, had they asked me to make it again today, I would have made it today. With who? With the mushrikeen of Quraysh. So making these deals and dealing with people and allying with them. Another example. If the church across the street, they came over here and they said, hey, we want to open up a soup kitchen together. Forget Religion to the side. We're not going to put it forward as a, as a Christian help or anything like that. We can say that we sponsored it and you can say that you're also sponsoring it. It's a joint sponsorship of a, of a soup kitchen. I'm allying with them now, yes or no? Islamically, is that permissible? No. Why? Not just opening the doors of da'wah. Allah Azza wa Jal, He says, "What ta'awanu al birri wa taqwa." And this this order is general. No, I meant like a mm-hmm. close personal friends. Even close personal friends, yeah. Like I said, it, it only becomes a problem where when you start allying with them against the Muslims. That's the condition. Mm-hmm. If I start, in in this it, this happens sometimes. It, it does happen within sub communities sometimes. Like for example. Um, there's and, and I know this happens, and I, I don't mean to point them out, but there's uh, brothers who are ta- or Tamil, you know, they're they're South Indian, and there are brothers who are Indian, North Indian. So they always have this problem, you know, that the North Indian and the South Indian because they're different, they have different cultures, different languages, etc. The Tamil people, they're very mixed. You have some that are Hindu, and you have some that are Muslim. So sometimes, and this is not with everyone, obviously, but sometimes these people will ally with them for their nationality against. The Muslim. This is my angels. This is what Allah is talking about. Why? Because I put my nationality, I put my culture, I put my race before my religion. And and this is the thing that Allah strictly prohibits. That putting anything before your religion. Whether it be family relations, whether it be cultural relations, economic, social, whatever it is. Religion comes first. That is the defining factor. And anything that causes you to go against your religion or to hurt Another Muslim, this is where Allah is going to punish us. And that's what we need to be careful of. And the reason that people say, in general, not taking the disbelievers as close friends, etc., is because they feel like, okay, you might be influenced, you might fall into their religion. That, that's the problem. And if that is happening, then at that point, I would say yes. You, know, you, you, don't, you shouldn't keep that relationship. But if there's no pull... For, for example, if there's no pull from him to draw you toward his religion or drawing you toward sin, I don't see a problem. Because uh, I knew some people and I had some friends growing up, they encouraged me to study, right? And I encouraged them to study. And, and we did well, we had study groups and we came together. And I'm sure many of you have the same thing in school. Why? Because we're working together for a common goal that's good. And there's nothing wrong with that. The moment that they was like, hey man, you need to learn about Jesus and you need to, you know, learn about, you know, you have to read the Torah and this and that. I'd be like, yeah, we're done. Like you know that, <laughs> like we 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 were good up until the study circle, but now it's not it's not on. So that that's where we draw the line. That that's where we really need to draw the line. Um, and, and that Wallahu alam, that's that's what those ayat apply to, and that's what it applies to. Yeah. I, I have, yes. I have one comment regarding the word that you read. Uh huh. Especially this, this how you think about it. Yeah. So this is the beginning of Islam. Yes. And Prophet is coming down hard. There's no mm-hmm. if, but, and then about no. the message. Yeah. He's not taking it easy. He's just. Yeah, yeah. When, it, when it came to Tawheed, yeah. 
Allah's the Prophet Sallallahu he didn't, he didn't, there was no there was no curbing. You know what I mean? There's not even like, okay, there the hijab hasn't come yet. That that these rulings haven't even come yet. You know, the prayer was very in a very limited capacity. Um, drinking was still allowed. The ahkam of riba hadn't even come yet. But the one thing that was very stern, very clear, very focused, and the the main message is what? And this is something, it's really a lesson for us. It, it really is. That this is the, the one thing. If a person comes to me and be like, man, you know, I, I just, I love bacon and I can't stop eating bacon. I'll be, you know what I'll tell him? I'll be like, whatever, just accept Islam. We'll, we'll, worry, we'll worry about the bacon <laughs> thing later. <laughs> or, you know, I can't stop drinking or I can't stop, do, whatever the sin is. Mm-hmm. Just accept Islam. And, and we'll, we'll worry about all those things later because inshallah, as time goes on, you'll, you'll end up leaving them. Just like the Sahaba left them. Because Aisha radiallahu anh, she even said, he said, had the order for the prohibition of alcohol had come at the beginning of Islam, nobody would have accepted it. Allah. And, and this shows us the hikmah and how we're supposed to deal. Hadith Mu'ad radiallahu anh, where the Prophet told him, he said, you're going to the people of Ahl Kitab, and the first thing you need to call them to is, La ilaha illallah. Then if they accept that, Order them to pray. Then, if they accept that, order them to give zakah. Look at this, step by step, step by step, bringing people in easily. The, the problem that we have today is like you know the person takes your hat. Okay, Akhi, you need to go take ghusl and we have to pray five times a day. And you, sister, you need to put on your hijab and brother, you need to grow your beard and you need to wear like this and you come like this. You know, and like here's a miswak. You know, this is what he's gonna be like. You know, he's like, whoa, you know, like what, what what's what's going on, man? Like what? Shway it, and. and 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 that's the reality. You know, we need we need to learn to take things step by step. Because even all of us, we're still in, we're still learning. Every day we're learning something new about our religion. Every day we're learning something more amazing about Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala. Every day we're learning something to better our our relationship and our closeness to Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. So, does that help a little bit? Yeah, that's something. Okay. It's amazing that there's no. Leniency when it comes to yeah, this, and this is the one thing. Subhanallah. In the, another hadith of the Prophet Sallallahu he says, "And if I order you with something, do it as much as you can." Allah. And he said, "And if I prevent you from something, then stay away." And ease the leniency, and all, all you know, and we're we're so hard with each other, and, and that's that's it's really sad, for the amount of leniency and the ease the Deen has, and how we should deal with each other, and how we. How we should be with each other, we we are that much harsher and we're that much harder with each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah, may Allah put softness and ease in our hearts. Plus, um, if there are any other questions, let's write them down so we'll, we'll address them next week, inshallah. For Jazakum Allah Khair, Subhanakallah, Muhammadik, Rashadun, Alam, Tawstakhir, Wa Atubu, Ilayhi. For Jazakum Allah Khair.